I'm Matt Bush with BPR News. I'm speaking with Dr. Chris Cooper of Western Carolina University. Chris, as always, thank you for making the time. And that's uh, been a request. We are something we say to you all the time, but I think in the last month, uh, you have taken it to another level. So thank you. Happy to be here, Matt. Always enjoy the conversation. So as events necessitate, we have uh, talked a lot about this, and now we finally get to have a longer chat about it. One, we kind of had to wait till the day before the show to do this because uh, so much news has been breaking uh, that we want to make sure we got the most up-to-date for uh, for the show. So um, before we get into some of the latest stuff, just again, take give us a bit of history of this district. It's kind of a new number next year. It's no longer the 11th, and it'll be the 14th. But how this district's playing out now as how it played out 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago is just vastly different and we're on a different path here in the mountains now we really are i mean our district i think in a lot of ways represents what's happened with american politics if you look at redistricting or gerrymandering depending on your perspective if you look at what's happened with party polarization um and just the nationalization of local politics i think you see it all in the mountains so the 11th congressional district which we've been known since the 1960s is traditionally the western part of the state um, we were back in, well, we were a Democratic district for a good while. In the early 1980s, a uh, Republican finally sort of cracked that Democratic establishment. So a guy named Bill Hinden won as a Republican. And then we had um, about 10 years where Hinden and uh, Jamie Clark, who's a Democrat, went back and forth. So Hinden would win one time, McClure would win the next time. So for those of who pay attention to far Western North Carolina politics, it was sort of the Mike Clampett, Joe Sam Queen of Congress in the 1980s. They went back and forth so often that the Wall Street Journal called our district the turnstile, right? So we just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Finally, um, the last time Clark beats McClure, excuse me, Clark beats, um, beats Hendon, he's in for another term. And then we get a long term of Charles Taylor, Republican still around the region, Charles Taylor um, uh, represented us for a number of years, one of the longest serving in our district. He was then unseated by Heath Shuler, a Democrat who is also still in the region. Um, so Shuler, of course, was a blue dog Democrat, one of the real last blue dogs, so a conservative Democrat by, by really any measure. Um, and then that's where redistricting or gerrymandering really changed our district in a radical way. So the city of Asheville or the vast majority of the city of Asheville was carved out of the 11th, was placed into the 10th. Keith Shuler then decided to not run for office. Um, again, his chief of staff, a guy named Hayden Rogers, ran as a Democrat. Um, the Republican field was very, very crowded. And there was somebody who had never won elected office before named Mark Meadows from the far western part of the district. So Meadows ran. Meadows won the first primary. He was forced into a second primary. He actually won the second primary as well. Then, of course, served a number of terms in office, became chief of staff for President Trump. Again, we see a massive change. We see a huge field. We see the third largest field in the United States. The initial Republican primary did have Madison Cawthorn, but uh, it was not initially won by Madison Cawthorn. It was won by Linda Bennett who was uh, very close to the Mark Meadows camp. And uh, Bennett won the first primary. If we lived somewhere outside of the South, frankly, Linda Bennett would be our member of Congress. But we do live in the South. We have runoff rules. Those runoff rules took over. So we forced a second primary or a runoff. And that's when Madison Cawthorn won on the Republican side. Of course, Mo Davis won on the Democratic side, did not need a runoff there. 
They went at each other. Madison Cawthorn, of course, wins. Now we see different lines again. Madison Cawthorn has switched districts, and we're going to see a big, chaotic primary once again, just like we saw last time. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw similar numbers. So we went from sort of chaos in terms of which party will control to chaos in terms of which Republican will emerge from the primary. So even before Madison Cawthorn decided to run in a different district, we had three Republican challengers facing him in what is now the 14th. The fourth one just announced um, overnight. Fourth one just announced now, and that is Michelle Woodhouse, who's the current district chair for uh, Republican district chair for North Carolina 11. Got a lot of others considering. So um, you said this could be a repeat of, of the 2020 primary, which had 11 candidates and had to go to a runoff. So um, how many more are we going to see at this point? I wish I knew. I wish my crystal ball would, would come up with that specific of a number. Um, but I would say more. I think we're going to see more folks come in. I mean, there are rumors of essentially any elected official in Western North Carolina who's a Republican. There's probably some rumor that says they're going to get in. Um, I believe Corey Valancourt had a piece where um, he confirmed that um, uh, Kevin Corbin from North Carolina's 50th Senate District is actually considering a run, has said that on the record. Ralph Heiss mentioned to uh, the News and Observer in Raleigh that he was considering a run. There are certainly, again, rumors about really most other people that are, you know, representing anybody in the West. Um, so we're going to see a big field. We're going to see a crowded field. We're going to see a messy field. The Michelle Woodhouse news that broke last night is very interesting. Um, she is, uh, you know, somebody who's obviously connected very recently to the Republican Party in Western North Carolina. She's the chair of the, the Western North Carolina 11th Congressional District Republicans. Um, and it does seem like Madison Cawthorn and Michelle Woodhouse have a very, very good relationship. So a lot of us are wondering whether she was the conservative fighter that he was talking about in his release. Right. The the move by Cawthorn that was announced last week may not have been as much of a surprise as you were looking at filings, as you always do. You saw something a couple months ago that may have hinted that this had been in the works for a while. And then we'll get into how this is a very similar um, pattern to what we saw two years ago. But tell us what uh, what you saw a couple months ago that may have been a sign that this was coming. Yeah. So, you know, if you look at campaign finance reports, um, because I know everybody does, but uh, but I do with my coffee some mornings. And uh, what I saw from August was that Madison Cawthorn had donated $1,000 to the Michelle V. Woodhouse Committee. Now, donating money to another candidate is not unusual. You see that in lots of people's filings. What was interesting here was that Michelle Woodhouse, of course, was not a candidate. She wasn't running for any office that any of us knew about. And so uh, it, we don't know. We don't know exactly what was going on there, but it does lead me to suspect that this might have been in the works for a little bit longer than is being acknowledged. He gave her $1,000 to a campaign committee in August. We're now hearing in November about this decision. Um, you know, it does certainly raise some questions. But this is almost, almost a carbon copy of what happened two years ago with Mark Meadows and Linda Bennett, right? That's exactly right. So for those folks who might have washed that part out of their memory banks, um, when Mark Meadows uh, stepped down, he stepped down on a Wednesday. Uh, The day of the week is rarely important in politics, but it is in this case because earlier that week was the last day somebody could pull out of one office and run for another. In other words, if you were already um, declared for General Assembly, you could no longer pull out and run for Congress. Friday was the filing deadline. So essentially what the timing of Mark Meadows' decision did was it boxed out 
any elected official from declaring to run for the 11th congressional district. Linda Bennett, who uh, is, has been described as his wife's best friend or very close friend, um, was ready immediately with a press release. Um, she had a website that I believe was actually registered by Mark Meadows' brother before this date. So essentially, everybody thought that Mark Meadows wanted Linda Bennett to win the seat. He then endorsed Linda Bennett. He then got President Trump to endorse Linda Bennett. I mean, the writing was clearly on the wall that that's what was happening. Um, Linda Bennett, of course, as we all know now, lost the second primary, is not in office. And most folks think that a big reason why is that the Republican establishment didn't like having their next member of Congress be chosen, be chosen for them by the exiting member. And so I think a lot of us are very interested to see what happens now. Does Michelle Woodhouse get uh, sort of painted with that same Linda Bennett brush, or is she able to carve out her own uh, campaign and able to carve out her own message? And we're going to get to more of that in a little bit uh, once we talk about our our soon-to-be former congressman, uh, Madison Cawthon. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, I do want to talk first to uh, one more thing about the 14th, and that is new lines. And a lot of the national coverage, at the very least, kept mentioning this. But we want to go to you as the local expert to really say how much of this is actually true. It said one of the reasons that maybe Cawthorn had left was that the district would be more competitive, which under the new lines it would be. But there was a chance Democrats could win. It's a narrow path, I think, as it's been described. I've even heard you say that. What is that? What are the changes in the lines that would give Democrats a narrow path to win? And then how do they walk that narrow path? Should they be able to win? Yeah, so the, the enacted lines, so the lines that, are, that were drawn and passed, um, dropped McDowell, Polk, and half of Rutherford County. So those are currently in the 11th. They will not be in the 14th. They've been moved over to the 13th, which is, as we'll get to, Cawthorn's new district, evidently. Um, We've also added most of Watauga County. And the reason I say most of Watauga County is that Virginia Fox, who is a Republican incumbent, lives in the southwestern corner of Watauga County. So Watauga County is sort of carved out. There's a little boot in the southwest portion. And you can see that's Virginia Fox's house. That district is now called the 11th. I know it's confusing. And the 11th then wraps around and grabs most of Guilford County where a Democrat named Kathy Manning lives. So what does that mean for those of us in the West? It means that the 11th is now numbered the 14th. It means that most but not all of Watauga County is in our district. And again, it means that McDowell, half of Rutherford and Polk are now gone. So this has moved it from, you know, there's virtually no chance a Democrat could win to it would be like, uh, you know, an App State beating Michigan kind of moment. It does happen um, but it's rare. So right now there is one member of Congress up in Maine who's a Democrat who represents a district as Republican as the 14th is currently drawn. So as to what Cawthorn's rationale was, you know, obviously I don't know. And I try to not put motives on on folks when I when I don't know. Um, but I will say that he was likely to win the 14th as it was drawn. Um, he is more likely, I guess, to win the 13th. But this is like a major league baseball team, um, you know, playing a single A team versus a double A team. They're probably going to beat either one of them. So what is the path? A lot of this would obviously would need, and we saw this a couple years ago, but they were separate districts. A lot of this would need a, a big turnout on college campuses because with the new lines of the 14th in Watauga County, the 
campus of Appalachian State University, which is about double the size of the university you're at, Western Carolina, which is also in the district, um, would it would would there would have to be a lot of turnout amongst college students for Democrats to be successful. That's who they typically have been successful with. So, um, yeah, describe the narrow path for us. And is that is it doable, I guess, is really the million dollar question or billion dollar well, question. <laughs> you know, I mean, is it doable? I mean, certainly there's a reason we have elections. And again, there is one example in Maine of somebody pulling off something similar, but it would be um, it would be an upset. And I, I think every Democrat and Republican would acknowledge that this is a heavily Republican district as it was drawn, as it is drawn. So what is the path for Democrats? You know, I, th- I think Appalachian State and Boone is, is clearly part of it. Watauga has been one of the bluer counties in Western North Carolina. Um, college student turnout can be tricky. Not all those folks, of course, are registered in Watauga County. They may not be registered in the 14th Congressional District at all. Um, but I think driving up turnout in Boone, driving up uh, turnout certainly among Appalachian State students and UNC Asheville students and Western students would matter for uh, any Democrat who would want to win. Um, at the same time, that's not enough, right? These are, are still fairly small numbers in the scheme of things. Young people, unfortunately, there's nothing new with partisanship, but I wish young people would, would certainly vote more than they do. So that's a tough thing to do. So what does a Democrat have to do to win? They really need to just run up the score where they can. So Buncombe County, the southern part of Madison County, Henderson County to some degree. I mean, certainly Henderson County's red. Everyone acknowledges that. But Henderson County is moving bluer faster than all but one other county in the state of North Carolina. So there is some movement in Henderson County. Um, a Democrat would need to take back Jackson County. Yes, the university, but the county in general, which tended to be a little more purple than some of the other counties. And a Democrat would need to limit losses elsewhere. They can't get killed in you know, Macon, Swain, Graham, Clay, Cherokee counties, the far western counties. Yes, every one of those counties is small, but if the Republican Party wins those counties in big numbers, a Democrat can't win no matter what they do elsewhere in the district. Okay, now on to Madison Cawthorn, the Western North Carolina soon-to-be-former congressman, as it looks like he will be representing. Should he win, he still has to win, but it's obviously uh, very much in his favor winning this new district in the 13th, which includes, uh, which goes back towards Charlotte. Um, What does it say about his political career that he wants to represent this district as opposed to the one that he does live in and first one? You know, it's funny. On on the one hand, it's incredibly surprising. Um, Why would somebody do that? On the other hand, I think we've come to expect surprises from Madison Cawthorn. Um, so why would he do it again? You know, his intent, I, I can't be sure of. My sense is it probably doesn't have as much to do with the district draw. Again, I mean, he'd raised over $2 million. He was likely to win the 14th. Um, Charlotte is a much bigger media market, and that is perhaps at play for him. He's made no secret that he is interested in running for governor in the sort of medium term once he is of age. And so perhaps he thinks he increases his footprint then he, that's a bigger voter base, essentially, to run for the governor's mansion. That's possible. Um, I think it's also possible that he likes that we're having this conversation, that he likes that he was able to successfully take on the establishment. I mean, this is a freshman member of Congress who called a sitting U.S. senator, Republican from his own state, a rhino and a terrible campaigner. So I think the idea that the 13th Congressional District was drawn for the Speaker of the House, Tim Moore, um, and that Cawthorn was able to announce and very quickly, just a few hours later, 
Tim Moore announced that he would not be running for that district. Um, I think it, it reinforces the brand that he's selling, which is one that is not afraid to take on his own party. Um, and again, I think this conversation and conversations like this is one reason he does. It. He seeks attention. He gets attention. And the fact that there is a freshman member of Congress who is generating this much noise, not just amongst the political chattering class, but amongst anybody who pays any attention to politics, I think says he's kind of getting what he wants. One of our previous chats this month, you said there is this growing schism between establishment Republicans and this wing of, of the Republican Party that Cawthorn's a part of. And I think you also mentioned that Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson is also a part of. They, they're winning elections right now, whereas the establishment winning elections too, but also taking a backseat, at least in this sort of media game of, of making sure that they have attention. Um and the Cawthorn versus Moore showdown that lasted a couple hours, I guess you could say, in the 13th last week uh, shows that the, you know, the Cawthorn Robbins inside is winning a lot. But you did see some of the, you know, aftermath, some of the um, uh, coverage, particularly there's a piece in the Charlotte Observer that, you know, a Repub- big wig Republican in Mecklenburg County saying of Madison Cawthorn's the f- future, the face of our party, the Republican Party, then there is no future. Um this wing of the Republican Party keeps winning elections, and you hear these chatter from establishment Republicans um, that it's not a sustainable long-term solution. But which one of them is closer to right? You know, I think if the district lines look the way they look now, then um, it's just a matter of which Republican is going to win, right? So the downside is just of, of taking this more radical path that Cawthorn has taken. There just isn't much downside, Right. Um, so which one's going to win out? I don't know. I thought that was an interesting statement. Um, that was also, if I remember correctly, from, from Charles Jeter, who is a former member of the North Carolina General Assembly. Um, I would like to, to see what some members of the North Carolina General Assembly who are currently in office would have to say on the record. Um, and I think it's going to take some on-the-record statements by establishment Republicans like Jeter, but ones who are still in office. Even Tim Moore, who is clearly disappointed um, that he wasn't able to run for or didn't think he could win for Congress, stopped a little bit short of really going after Cawthorn, right? He said he was surprised, but he didn't really talk about his message. So I think it's going to take something beyond what we're seeing. I think the establishment Republicans are scared of the Cawthorn-Robinson wing of the party. Um, And Look, we can see no better evidence in the 13th Congressional District. I mean, Tim Moore is one of the most powerful, perhaps the second most powerful Republican in the state of North Carolina, and he was not willing to go after a first-term member of Congress running out of his own district. So I think that tells you all you need to know about who's winning in the short run. Lastly, and this might actually be the billion-dollar question, maybe this is the multi-billion-dollar question, as these questions just keep going, escalating in significance, but there are lawsuits over these maps. Um so we're not going to talk about the validity of them, but do want to ask, if these lawsuits are successful, what happens? Because we have this new district because of, 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 uh, of, of, of population growth shown in the, sentence, in the census. So there still needs to be this new district for the election next year. But what if these lawsuits are successful and these maps are overturned? What's going to happen next? Yeah, I mean, that's, that is the, the 10, as you said, $10 billion question these days. So there are really three, I believe, lawsuits that have been filed as of this morning. So one came just a couple of days ago. Those are on the congressional lines. And I'll, I'll answer your question on what will happen. But I think we should also remember, 
it's very possible that there will also be lawsuits on our General Assembly lines. So we've been talking a lot today, as we should, about Congress and what those lines will look like. The General Assembly lines are switched as well. Those could also change based on lawsuits. We'll just have to see. As far as what would happen, I mean, I think there's a few paths. I mean, one is obviously that the lawsuits might fail. And so we're going to stick with the current lines. Another possibility is that the court um, decides that we should push back the election day. So right now we're all eyeballing early December is the filing deadline. In March is when we're going to have primaries. Um, I would write that down in your calendar, but I would write it, uh, if you write it in ink, I'd write it in erasable ink. Um, it is certainly possible that we move the primary day back to, let's say, May. The filing deadline shifts. Another possibility is that we go through with these elections, the way they're drawn, and then in two years or four years, the lines get challenged and shift again. So unfortunately, we're not done with this conversation. I'm not sure what the shape of it's going to take, but I'm certain the conversation is going to continue. And that means the conversation between you and I will also continue, no doubt, on Blue Ridge Public Radio for the coming months. Chris, as always, thank you for taking the time. Thanks, man.